Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, Grab girl? my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Every race has winners. Come get your share. This is the Press Box. And it's neck and neck in the home stretch. The jockeys are tiny. The horses are big. Suspiciously big. Unnaturally big. Well, let's just say if you like your performance enhanced, we've got you covered. With Grady and Bischoff. Dramatically fewer fixed races. Not none, but that's why they call it gambling. On ESPN Las Vegas. We don't foresee any problems, but we'll admit it was a last-minute decision that didn't get discussed with the whole team. Hey, it's Friday on the Press Box. Ed, Tyler, and Jared back in action. Last day of the week. TGIF. You do sound excited. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Very excited. Uh, very excited on a Friday. You know, you know Fridays. Let's <laughs> phone it in. Get, get on Saturday. out of here. We are doing a good show today. Uh, it's going to be a fun show. Great show, even. Yeah. You think so? No, not at all. No, not yeah. at all. It, it will be Solid an average show. show. We will be on the radio for three hours. Exactly. That's about as much as you can say. The first bite. What are the Raiders playing for for the rest of the season? Did you see the two reports about Derek Carr? Did you what, see these? What are the reports about Derek From Carr? From Vinny Bonsignor and Vic Tafer? These last four are deciding it, man. Apparently. Apparently, these last four are going to decide uh, the future in the $38 million cap hit next year. So is that real to you? I, you mean have they already made up their mind or are they really going to look at the last four games? Right. Are they going to take this four-game sample size and say this is what determines Derek Carr's future? 60% of our listeners say that Derek Carr will not be a part of this team in the offseason. That's the poll. I absolutely think that it would be a surprise if they already haven't come to some determination. Here's the interesting part, and I know this is part of what Vic and Vinny uh, wrote about. We're going to see the offense fully healthy outside of the offensive line, but whatever. We're going to see the offense. offense That's true. (laughs) They're cutting them every day. Uh, (laughs) We're going to see the skill positions healthy, and we haven't seen a lot of that this season. And sort of what, what Vic and Vinny alluded to when they wrote about this was that this is almost like a four game audition. Yeah. For the offense, and it's like, okay, even if you lose all of them, whatever, but because the defense is bad or something, but it's basically, all right, what does this offense look like? With everyone. And if it's really good, then hey, let's run it back. We ended up with seven, whatever they end up with. We ended up as a seven-win team, and injuries hurt us, and we lost score games, and we'll run it back, and we'll be good next year. But if they struggle on offense then you almost have to blow it up. But it's just, to me, it's, it would be very, very strange for a front office who has had Derek Carr for an entire season, could go back and look at what Derek Carr has been his entire career and base Derek Carr's future on four games 
Four games that don't really that matter. Don't really, exactly. I was just going to say, how much do they really matter? Right. It, this is not four games where, like, oh, four playoff games, and this is right. where you've you already know, clinched something. Stars are made. They're very important. This is four games that are going to be mostly irrelevant. And that would be very strange when you have a quarterback who's got eight and a half years of a body of work right now. And you would say, well, we'll decide if we want to bring you back based on the last four games of the season. We know what Derek Carr is. What happens the last four games doesn't really change who Derek Carr is as a quarterback. We've known who Carr is as a quarterback for a while. When they took over the team, they knew who Carr was. So to me, any idea that the last four is some sort of audition for Derek Carr seems like bad decision-making. It seems like a bad process if you're the front office to say it comes down to these four games right? to prove it. That seems stupid to me. Yeah, I think they have a good idea of what they want to do. Yeah. And I think if they don't, they haven't been paying attention. And like you said, I think it's kind of ridiculous that you would say we're going to make a determination on an almost $40 million cap hit with four games left. I do think it makes more sense for Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro to look at these last four games because they'll be the first four games they'll play. <laughs> <laughs> what is Darren Waller at this point? Uh, he's a, th- is he 30? Aces fan. 30 plus <laughs> tight end. Who's hurt a lot. Darren Waller has the potential and we've seen it. Darren Waller has the potential to be one of the, whatever, three or four best tight ends in the league. Darren Waller has the potential to give you an advantage at a position that is uh, relatively weak in terms of consistent production, but it's been a couple of years since we've seen that. And Waller has had an injury since preseason. And they just gave him a contract extension. But I think it's a lot more fair to say, all right, what is Darren Waller showing us these last four games of the season? Is Waller, is he one of those top four tight ends in the league, which could happen? Or is he relatively ineffective? I think that makes more sense to possibly move on from. Also with Hunter Renfro, he's not as old. So you'd expect Renfro next year. Oh, look, he's healthy. He's back to being a good slot receiver. But I think it makes a lot more sense for those two guys than it does for Carr, simply because we know who Carr is. Yeah. So seen it, seen it for almost nine seasons. I'm curious to see sort of what they do look like these last four games, but I'd have a hard time believing that this is the this is the audition that determines whether Derek Carr comes back or not. Right. That just seems very foolish at this point. But I guess that's what the Raiders are playing for the rest of the season. You think that you think inside they're playing for the draft pick, or you think inside they're like, hey, let's win all four and take our shot because the Jets aren't, you know, do you believe in the Jets? The Charger might charge her up, and there might actually be a chance. Um, Josh McDaniels is coaching to win all the games, and obviously the players are apparently playing for their jobs, playing to win all the games. What's Dave Ziegler doing? I wouldn't be surprised if Ziegler is fist pumping if they lose a game. For the draft pick. Yeah. If I'm the GM, that's what I'm I'm hoping for. Now, there's not here's the thing, there's not much the GM can do at this point to like tank. Well, release a couple of guys. Well, they did that, but they were the bad offensive linemen, so I don't think it matters too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, they're they're bad until one offensive lineman gets hurt. Like the general idea of of tanking comes from the front office making roster decisions. Right? You don't have players tanking you don't really have coaches tanking. no but 
the general is, the general theme of tanking is your your front office is not putting a, a good product on the field. There's not really much uh, Ziggler can do about the roster at this point. It is what it is, unless they go in and bench guys. But I don't see that happen. I don't either. I, I mean, the Eagles did it a couple years ago in the final week of the season in a second half. They benched all their starters so they would lose and get a better draft pick. So maybe that happens if they're like beating the Chiefs at halftime in week 18. And they're like, well, if we lose, we jump up to four. So let's pull all the starters. Maybe. But for the last four it's you're not going to see anything different. They're just going to play these out and right. See what happens. If I'm Mark Davis or Dave Ziegler or even Josh McDaniels, I'm probably like, okay, we lost. That's, that's good. We're going to move up. Cause here, here's the situation. The Raiders right now pick eighth in the, in the draft, right. but they're in a great spot because there are seven teams tied for, at five and eight in the NFL right now. The tiebreaker, what gets you the highest pick is whoever has the weakest strength of schedule. The Raiders have the weakest strength of schedule of all those five and eight teams. And the only teams in the league with an easier strength of schedule than the Raiders are the Chargers, Chiefs, and 49ers, who are all going to finish well ahead of the Raiders in the standings. So that means whoever the Raiders finish tied with to end the season here, they're almost certainly going to win the tiebreaker and pick ahead of them. So right now they're picking eighth. Uh, The Raiders are one game out of being the fourth pick in the draft. Because they have the tiebreaker. So if the Raiders find a way to lose three of the last four, we might be talking about a top five pick for this team, which is substantially better than picking nine or 12 or 14 or whatever it is. So every loss from here on out is pretty critical if you care about draft position, which I think the Raiders should care about that because... It's now about 2023. It's no longer. I mean, there's what a 1% chance to make the playoffs, but it's about 2023. It's not about 2022 anymore. So bring on the draft picks. Boy, if they got a top four or five pick, then, well, we don't know who we know that the, you know, the Texans will be in there. They'll take a quarterback, but those top quarterbacks, they could really make a run at one of them. And if that's the case, then I think they do try to move on from Carr. So here's the fascinating part about the current draft order. The Texans are almost certainly going to get the number one pick. Quarterback. Denver traded their pick to Seattle. Is Seattle Mm. drafting a quarterback or are they sticking with Geno Smith? Smith with a big contract? Chicago's currently in the top five. I don't think they're drafting a quarterback. The Rams pick is going to Detroit. Detroit might make the playoffs. And Jared Goff has played well. They might talk themselves just like Seattle. Into and keeping golf. Keeping golf. And then the Saints pick, who would be five right now, is going to Philly. They're who, not taking who a quarterback. definitely doesn't need a quarterback. Six is Arizona at the moment. They the, just gave they Kyler Murray. Yeah, they're not going to pick one. Then you get to seven right now is Indy. I would th- assume they, would, guess take they one. would take one. No, they need to. They're, they're trading for Derek Carr. <laughs> Carson Wentz first, then Derek Carr. Oh, okay. Go back to Carson Wentz and then Derek Carr. They, uh, they need an old guy. So, but you go through this, the team's currently ahead of the Raiders. There's only two on there, Houston and Indy, that you'd say for sure is taking a quarterback. quarterback. Now, Seattle and Detroit might say, all right, Geno Smith, Jared Goff, we're we're taking one. Even if they decided we're going to have them sit, they still might take one there. But there's a real chance that the Raiders could pick four or five. Hell, they could stay at eight where they are right now. And still get one of them. And still get the third best quarterback in the draft. So, that's and that's another part about the whole losing part and getting a higher pick like because the teams right now the Raiders are tied with Carolina 
they'd probably take a top yeah. quarterback. Yeah. I mean, they did draft Matt Rule in the third round, but I doubt they'd hold off on a quarterback for that. Uh, Atlanta does have Desmond Ritter. Jacksonville does have um, Trevor Lawrence. And then Houston has another pick from Cleveland in there. So there's a couple of teams behind them that if they if the Raiders win too many games could jump ahead of them and take a quarterback if the Raiders decide to do that. But I think the the whole Derek Carr conversation is to me, it's less about the last four games of the season and more about what can they do in the offseason at that position. Right. If they're able to draft the second best quarterback in the draft, they should probably do that yeah. and move on from Carr. But if they're in a position where, all right, we're probably not getting one of the top two or three quarterbacks, then it becomes, well, who else is available? Well, then it becomes, who are your options beside him? Right. And can who's the better, you know, what can you, how can you replace him? And is he is, is the person as good as him? And the answer to that's probably going to be no. I, I mean, agree. Maybe Lamar Jackson becomes available. Ooh. I don't think he will, but that would be one outside of that. Who else is going to come available that you'd be able to get? Like, right. I guess Tom Brady. That would but, be better than but it's, and I You I, already have that picture for the paper. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like. If, if they're in the top five or six or so, they might have a legitimate shot at one of the top two or three quarterbacks, and that might make the decision for them. If they're picking 9-10, then you might not get one of those quarterbacks, right. and you'll look around and say, can we get Lamar Jackson? And if it's not him, who's the next best option? It might not be better than Derek Carr. Right. So I think it's less about these four games and more about what their options are in the offseason. But... It'll be fascinating to see because that's the thing about these last four games. If Derek Carr throws for 400 yards a game and four touchdowns a game, are they going to say, oh, we got him. He's a top five quarterback in the league. We finally unlocked him. After nine seasons, we figured it out. Well, he needs more time in the offense. That's what we've always heard. (laughs) I think they could say that. Man. I think they could actually say that if he if he did what you just said and throws for 400 yards a game, a couple touchdowns a game, they could talk themselves into because if he does that, they're going to win some. I mean, you'd expect they'd win some. Imagine if he throws, they did that loss. I mean, if he, <laughs> if they go 0 and 4 and he's averaging 400 yards a game, they've got bigger issues right. than we already know. <laughs> they do need to bring it. Well, they do need to get rid of him to free up some money because they need to spend some on defense, <laughs> defense right. and the offensive line. All right, coming up next, the Golden Knights. Uh, you're not going to believe this. They won another. Now, William Carlson intercepts the pass. He's off to the races. Shorthanded. Carlson right circle to the net. Stick lifted. Could not get a shot away. Patrick Kane pursuing a great job. Now feed to the middle. Smith scores! Shorthanded goal. Not on the rush. The recovery by William Carlson. Riley Smith deposits his fourth shorthanded goal of the year. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. The Golden Knights are 14-2-1 on the road this season. 14-2-1. The only team, no team has a better road record, obviously. The only team with a better home record is the Boston Bruins at 15-0-2. The Golden Knights' road record is better than 30 other teams' home. Technically 31 because it's better than their own. 31 other teams' home home records. records. That's home records. Home records. They are home records. That's ridiculous. I, I... it's so, and again, they're eight and seven at home. Do you think right. we could get that nickname off the ground? Home wreckers? Yeah. If they keep this up, they wreck yes. their own home by losing and wreck everybody else's home by winning. It's 
It's ridiculous. It's amazing how good they that are. On they the can road. do that and not be nearly as potent at home. Yeah, and they score goals on the road. This is a team that uh, has, what what was it? Four goals in, in three games at home, three game homestand in the last week. And then their first road game, they score six, six and their and second road game, they score four. Ten. What what are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> right after they said, "Hey, we got to create more offense." <laughs> What's wrong with Las Vegas? Do they do they not like it here? Is there something wrong with comfortable, Las Vegas? Comfortable? They at home? They're too comfortable when they get home? Too many other things to do? Too many other things on their mind? I have no idea. Because every team in the league would deal with that. That's true. Boston seems to be not too, too comfortable. They seem okay at home. It's just... It's crazy how much better they are on the road. And I here's I still believe... It's some like weird variance, and when we get to the end of the season, their home record's going to be better than their road record. Like they really, might, they might end up with the best road record in the league because they're off to such a hot start. But I believe this is like that road record's pretty far ahead at right. this point. There's some weird variance here, and the Golden Knights are going to be. Uh, it's going to even itself out a lot more. The rest. Well, I think of it'll even itself out. It'd be. I don't know if it'd be surprising, but a tad bit if they had a better home record than road record, just because they're so far out in front right now on the road. But we're getting to a point where maybe that doesn't happen, and maybe it is more than variance, and we just don't really know why. You can't explain it. And if I'm Bruce Cassidy, I'm strongly considering putting everybody in a hotel when uh, <laughs> they come back we home. We said that the other day. The yeah. MGM, right across the street. They, uh, they're they back home for, I think, three games yeah. before Christmas. Uh, yeah, sorry, you guys don't get to see your family. Yeah, we'll give you a day off for Christmas, and then uh, come You're on back, back in the hotel. Yeah, come on back to the hotel, and we're not staying on the strip either. We're staying at uh, Siegel Suites. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, let me make sure that I didn't just make that joke about a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> so it's crazy. The other part, uh, Riley Smith scored his fourth shorthanded goal of the season. The Minnesota Wild have six as a team. They're the league leaders. The Golden Knights have five as a team. And then Riley Smith has four. So it's pretty much the Minnesota Wild and Riley Smith are <laughs> I think scoring. opponents would be get used to getting used to Carlson and Smith breaking away and turning the puck over and yeah, breaking away. You would think that's like that I would mean, be something they would coach. Well, yes, on the scout, on the scout, the the, the pre-scout. The Watch those two. Part, <laughs> the funniest part about the goal last night is Carlson's the one who had like a uh, somewhat of a breakaway, right? There was a defend, uh, defenseman there, but it was somewhat of a breakaway. I guess it was a forward, technically. And he gets like a, a, a weak shot on goal, and then the puck goes into the corner, and Carlson skates over and, and retrieves the rebound in the corner, and there are two um, Blackhawks that are over there in the corner, but they don't really do a lot to him. They kind of let him have the puck there, more of a, hey, we're on the power play. What are you about to do here? Right. But the fascinating part is Riley Smith just skated right into there the slot. There was no one with him. <laughs> no Blackhawks were yeah, like, oh. There, there was no one with him. No one covered him at all. It's like they didn't, it, did, it didn't even cross the Blackhawks' mind that William Carlson would pass the puck to the middle of right. the ice to Riley Smith. Like they, it's, not, it's like they thought, oh, he's just going to go to the corner and, I don't know, kill time. Kill time because, or, it's on the, because or, he's on the penalty kill. It didn't even cross their mind, oh, that Riley Smith guy standing right in front of our goalie. Right. Maybe we should go take care of him so he can't score. And William Carlson's like, "Hey, that Riley Smith guy standing right." And there's in front nobody of the near. And there's nobody near him. Let me pass him the puck. <laughs> it was like, "What? What are we doing here?" So, I can Riley Smith score eight shorthanded goals this season? 
I'm not going to say no because, like I said, and Jared was saying, I don't know if people watch film. I don't know if they like are are keen to the fact that these two guys are incredible on the penalty kill. So I'm not going to put it past them. Eight's a lot, though. It is. That'd be doubling what he already has. Eight's a lot. I mean, a lot of things have to happen for shorthanded goals, as you know. Um, but I mean, I'm going to say, gonna I'm gonna say on... no on eight. So the the they NHL, need a penalty. The NHL record. <laughs> the NHL record is Mario Lemieux. Uh, back in 88-89, he scored 13 shorthanded Jesus. goals. But I believe wow. that's before goalies knew they could uh, go down to the ice to stop pucks. I believe they just stayed on their feet. Uh, the last, <laughs> the last player. <laughs> wow. Okay. So in the last two decades, eight is the most by Martin St. Louis in 2003, 2004. So in, uh, I'll say modern hockey and completely throw the eighties into the past in modern hockey. Eight is okay. the most we've seen. So you'd have to double his in total two decades. I think eight's hard. It is. We might do it. This this but he's is fast. We're, how bad for goalies? <laughs> like seriously, the Martin St. Louis, his eight is twenty uh, third. How bad? All and, time. And everybody ahead of him is like from the eighties, the seventies. There's a couple. All time. There's a couple in the nineties. Yeah, all time. I guess technically he's tied. But like, how bad were goalies back then? We got guys. Well, w- they didn't wear helmets in the eighties. They did. Uh, I think you could be grandfathered in. I don't think you want to be grandfathered into <laughs> That's the That's one no of the things helmets. I don't want to be grandfathered into <laughs> with not wearing a helmet in hockey. Uh, active players, the most is Jordan Stahl scored seven back in 2006, 2007. So basically nobody scores shorthanded goals anymore is what I'm right. telling you. Because goal, goalies figured out they can uh, stop the puck instead of, what did they try to kick it like a soccer goalie in the past? Yeah. So that's possible there. Um, also, Phil Kessel scored. Yes, he did. And his sister scored. Yes, within like seconds of each other, apparently. Um, I'm going to totally discredit Phil Kessel's goal. Why wouldn't you? He completely (laughs) missed. I mean, he he got it in. the. No, he did not. He missed on the shot, and the defenseman's skate kicked it into the net. He he wide open net, puck on his stick. It does. Completely missed. If there had not been a defenseman there, Phil Kessel doesn't score. I hope he scores like... No one even been saved. Ten more goals the exact same way so that Tyler's like, (laughs) I I guess you got to keep him in the lineup because the other team will kick the bucket. Well, here's the interesting part. Paul Cotter got hurt last night. Paul Cotter got lit up and left the game. And we saw Phil Kessel played over three minutes on the top line. They broke it up. Kessel played 325. Carrier played 212. And Riley Smith played 207. So they mixed up without uh, Paul Cotter, who played with Stone and Stevenson. Eichel's out. If Paul Cotter's out, maybe it's Phil Kessel time playing on that top yeah. line. Maybe they go to Will Carrier. Maybe they break up the line significantly and go to Riley Smith. But it might finally be time that Phil Kessel gets to play on the top line. And it might finally be time that he produces because, because he's, he's playing with better players. Right. Or Bruce Cassidy says, oh, I can't have him on my most important line. <laughs> I benched that guy in the third period. I can't put him out there now. So curious to see what they do with Kessel and that line going forward. Coming up next, Ben Brown joins the show. Snowing could rain. I don't know. For me, at least, it's a mindset thing. And if I'm too focused and worried about, is it too cold? Can I really grab the ball? Then, I, you know, I would say I'm focused on the wrong things. Have you seen snow before? Yeah. It snowed in Alabama my first year. Yeah. 
So it snows in Alabama, guys. <laughs> I know. It, I mean, people don't know that. You know, there's some people that just think, oh, it just gets cold now, though. It, it does snow. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Ben Brown. All right, Ben, is there a point spread adjustment for someone that thinks it's going to snow in Buffalo like it did in Alabama seven years ago when he was there? <laughs> I mean, it's got to be negative because there's no way it's going to be anywhere close to the same, uh, you know, level of snow that was experienced in Alabama. And I can speak from experience. I know I'm not in Buffalo right now, but I do have kids and they have been, I would say they've had three days, three snow days already this week. So the snow, I would say, is very different from, you know, the upper upper north climate to what they probably experienced in Alabama. So I think he's going to be, I would say, let down coming up here on Saturday night. Uh, we've talked to you a lot about uh, point spread numbers and what individual players are. Can you just take us through the 49ers quarterback situation and what that number looks like with Jimmy Garoppolo being out, but now Brock Purdy being in and looking like he's at, at the very least not a negative? Right. Yeah. It, it doesn't look like, you, you know, we, we, we had it down basically out to like a point, a point and a half from, from, from Jimmy Garoppolo to, um, Brock Purdy and the question kind of going into the season was is like where do you have Trey Lance in this whole sort of calculation so we basically had Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo kind of start at the same point because we didn't really have you know I would say a, a strong prior or any sort of indication what Trey Lance would do and, and and when that that injury situation kind of happened we really didn't see I would say a huge impact to you know the the upcoming spread once Trey Lance was officially ruled out so I do think having those two in a very similar boat but I also think we did see, you know, a two, two and a half point, uh, you know, swing from, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo to Brock Purdy, but almost all of that seems to have, you know, I would say in some ways already kind of dried up just given, you know, how well Brock Purdy is kind of seamlessly fit into this offense. So I think right now, if you were comparing it, um, maybe there would be like a half point to a full point swing if Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo was somehow like miraculously back next week, but um, I, I don't think it's very dramatic, and I think a lot of that speaks to you know the scheme that Kyle Shanahan's kind of able to put these quarterbacks in and kind of maximize uh, the ability to hit guys wide open and have them generate a lot of those yards after the catch. Uh, are the Chargers going to charger this thing up at some point? I mean, that has to be the expectation, I would say. <laughs> I don't know exactly when it's coming, but uh, the Chargers are very much the team that, you, you know, they – they're so good when no one believes in them. And then as soon as people start to get on the bandwagon, uh, you know, things can start to go awry very quickly. So maybe it comes this weekend. This does kind of seem, you know, with the Chargers kind of extending out from a spread perspective, this does kind of seem like a game that Brable is going to, you know, maybe be able to control. I think the injury situation, they definitely, uh, you know, in a lot of ways negated that along the offensive line specifically last week. But, you know, this week, given the strong front four that the Tennessee Titans have, um, I do think the Titans are probably the correct spot to play, and this could be uh, kind of like you said, the, the beginnings of the the Chargers going on. Uh, what would, what would be another historic, um, you know, downfall towards the end of the season to not get into the playoffs? So, are the Chargers the opposite of all the Santa Claus movies where you have to believe in Santa for everything to work? They're the opposite. You can't believe in them, and everything will work just fine for Justin Herbert and the rest of them. 
I mean, that's exactly it, basically. I would have not thought of that analogy myself, but it very much. Uh, the, the no belief is the only thing that gets them playing, right, I would say. Uh, well, unfortunately, I listen, I think they're going to the playoffs. It's Titans, Colts, uh, Rams, and Broncos to end the season. I know that's exactly the schedule that would lead the Chargers to somehow missing the playoffs because they lost to the Texans right. in week, what, 16 last year. Rex Burkhead ran for like 150 yards. But I, I believe in them. They're going to win enough of those last four to be in the playoffs, and hopefully we get to actually see this team play in the playoffs and hilariously collapse there instead of the regular season. Right. I mean, I, I do hope they get into the playoffs because I do think Justin Herbert is, you know, is very much, I would say, not only deserving, but you know, very much playing like uh, you know one of the best quarterbacks in football right now. And I think getting those types of guys into the playoffs is only going to add to the narratives and add to the quality of play. So I would like to see that happen. But, yeah, we have them at – you know, 47% chance right now uh, of getting in the 22nd uh, most difficult schedule remaining. So definitely, I would say the, the path is there for them to get in. Uh, we'll see if they can take advantage of it, I guess. I don't know if anyone thought this late in the season we talk about the Lions and the Jets, but here we are. Uh, I think it's one and two around town. What do you feel about this one? Yeah, I... I I do lean in the Jets' direction. It does seem like, you know, at least Mike White's going to be able to suit up for them. I think that obviously matters quite a bit. The question for me is, you know, where Quinn and Williams falls. And I think, you know, early on in the week, we haven't gotten anything substantial outside of that. But, um, you know, Robert Sloss said he was 50-50 chance uh, of playing. I, I am very worried about the, the Jets' run defense if he's not able to go. And I do think that that's a spot where, you know, the Lions are very much going to try and maximize those things. They have been really good from a passing offensive perspective, but getting DeAndre back in the full, DeAndre Swift back in the full now, getting, you know, Jamal Williams continuing uh, to kind of run and pressure the interior of that defense, that's where the Detroit Lions, like, I, I think, could potentially win this game. But uh, I think with Quinton Williams back in the fold, um, the Jets are very much the clear clear and better team, better, way better defensively. Uh, and I do think they have the pieces to probably compete with them on offense as well. So at minus one and a half, uh, I think the hype has gotten just a little bit too too real for the Lions right now. So give me the Jets. I, I'm a believer in uh, I'm a believer in the Jets, and I do think that they're probably going to handle it uh, against an upstart Lions team on Sunday. Are the Vikings only the fourth best team in the NFC? I mean, and they might not even be the fourth best team in the <laughs> NFC. I don't know. I mean, everyone's low on them. I'm probably higher on them than, uh, you know, I would say almost anybody else uh, right now. But, yeah, I mean, they, I would say there's a very clear tier of NFC teams at the top, and the Vikings very much aren't, aren't one of those teams. So, yeah, they're probably better than Tampa Bay. And, and then the questions that are going to get in, um, you know, at the remaining seeds for the NFC playoff race. But uh, I think they are probably closer you know, in a lot of ways to Tampa Bay right now than they are to a team like the Dallas Cowboys, 49ers, or Eagles, from my perspective. All right, I got made fun of last week for saying that it was a trap game against Houston. Is it a trap game against Jacksonville? <laughs> They're all trap games at this point. Um, yeah, I, 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 I bet some early Cowboys, basically. Um, and, and, and it is kind of an interesting, you know, um, thought exercise or whatever, right? Like, like in a lot of ways, the Cowboys did kind of dominate that game against the Texans. The Texans were probably fortunate to even be that close in the end. Obviously, Dak Prescott didn't play great, and the, and the turnovers very much led to, you know, opportune situations for the Texans. So, 
from that perspective, I, I do think like the luck also works in the direction where the, the Cowboys probably still played pretty well and probably should have blown out a Texans team that had no business even being that close at the end of the game. So uh, I don't think this is a letdown spot for Dallas. Um, the spread has definitely moved in Jacksonville's direction. I think a lot of that is how well Trevor Lawrence has been playing over the past few weeks stretch. But um, if any defense is going to give him fit, fits outside of San Francisco, it's definitely going to be Dallas. And I think they match up you know, quite well against Jacksonville this week. So I expect Dallas to handle business. Um, I think they probably win by at least a touchdown here. All right, Ben, before we let you go, uh, do you have any bets on the World Cup final on Sunday? Well, I heard some rumors that there was some illness going around the France uh, the France roster or something like that this morning. So I did bet a little bit of Argentina. Um, you know, pure, uh, pure public play, I'm sure, is what's going to happen. But uh, I think Messi, you know, kind of, I don't know if this is going to be the end of his career or not. I'm, I'm not at all up to speed on that. But uh, I think he goes out on top here, and I do think Argentina ends up winning. So that's the side I'm playing. What do you, what do you guys got? I'm interested in hearing um, if you got any viable angles for me to bet on here well i'll uh i'll i'll tell you your angle about being sick um the netherlands apparently had the flu before they played the united states and they beat us three to one so that did not <laughs> help the united states at all right. against the dutch right uh i think france wins because i th- easily it's soccer so easily could be one nothing but i think france wins because i think they're significantly better than argentina Although I, uh, I would love to see Messi win it. I'm all over Germany, which was my pick originally to win the World <laughs> Cup, and they didn't get out of the group stage. So, yes, I'll stick with them. <laughs> uh, he is Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Ben, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. By the way, Ed, we yelled at you about the trap game because you said it after the game was over. Oh, well, I think this week's a trap game. You didn't walk. You didn't yeah. tell us before. Uh, <laughs> I'm worried about the Cowboys. It's a trap game. Then we would have given you credit. Yeah. But you waited until like Monday and you're like, oh, I knew it was a trap game. Give me credit. Why this, didn't you tell us? Give me credit this week. I think it's a trap game. Yes. If they lose or win a close game against It'll the Jags, we will give you credit right. uh, next week. All right. We've got Dollar Loan Center Friday football Frenzy. We're going to give you three NFL games. If you can correctly pick the winner, you'll win 300 bucks this week. Uh, we have not had a winner in a couple of weeks, so it's rolled over and we're up to 300. It's Friday football frenzy. Thanks to Dollar Loan Center. $300 on the line. We'll take caller number six right now. It's 702-364-1100. Caller six at 702-364-1100. You'll have a shot at 300 bucks. I'm just trying to do my part in terms of where we're at now in the season. So definitely not, you know, all praise to Brock and what Brock's done. Those guys, they, they deserve all the credit. So I appreciate those guys. They fake it to him left. They fake McCaffrey right. They throw to Kittle over the middle. Five touchdown. San Francisco. He looks right, comes left, throws down the sideline, wide open, George Kittle, 30, 20, cuts inside, 10, cuts inside again, touchdown, San Francisco. My mindset was, man, I'm I'm coming into this place to, to play and to start, and so that was that. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. It is Friday Football Frenzy, sponsored by Dollar Loan Center, offering signature loans up to $5,000. Stop by one of their 34 locations. 
in Las Vegas and Henderson. We've got $300 up for grabs, and we've got Steven on the phone. All right, Steven, your first game, Ravens at Browns. Uh, I'm going to go with Browns on this one. All right. Uh, The Patriots at Raiders. Uh, This game has been circled all year long. This is not a trap game. I'm going with the Raiders. (laughs) (laughs) And your final one. Uh, Ed's trap game, the Cowboys at the Jags. Uh, This is not a trap game also. I'm going with... Wait, what are the teams? Cowboys at Jazz. (laughs) I'm going to go with the Cowboys. All right, so Browns, Raiders, Cowboys. If all three win, Steven, you're taking home 300 bucks. Thanks to Dollar Loan Center. Good luck, Steven. Let's do it, guys. Good luck, man. Uh, So there's Steven again. Browns, Raiders, and Cowboys. If all three win, Steven's taking home $300. If not, that will roll over, and we will have $400 to give away next week. Who would the Patriots and Raiders be a trap for? I guess the Patriots. Uh, Not the Raiders. They're five and eight. Who will they be trapping? <laughs> they're trapping. I mean, we'll get to they're Scorigami. Should I? Should I? Should I go with another tie for the Scorigami? <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I think it's a tr- it's a trap game for the Raiders draft pick because okay. McDaniel's is going to be fired up to beat Belichick, but in reality, they shouldn't want to beat Belichick. Right. They should want to get the highest draft. Pick. Meanwhile, I don't think it can be a trap game for the Patriots. I mean, they're still in the running yeah. for something. And it's so. and they're not playing the one in ten Raiders. The Raiders are five. Right. And eight. So yeah, we'll see there. But Steven, uh, if he doesn't win, we'll have four hundred bucks to give away for next week. Uh the Thursday night game. Niners beat the Seahawks twenty one to thirteen. Bill Belichick is eighteen and nineteen all time against his former assistant coaches and players. And they normally suck, don't they? Yeah. Mike Vrabel's like the big exception to that entire rule. I mean, did Matt Patricia beat? <laughs> did the, I don't think so. Did Matt Patricia beat anybody maybe, in Detroit? Yeah, who did he beat? Um, the Niners beat the Seahawks 21-13. Oh, uh, I got it. Losses to Matt Patricia, Mike Vrabel twice, Brian Flores four times, Romeo Cornell, and Kevin O'Connell. Who is Kevin O'Connell? Kevin O'Connell. I feel like that's an actor from Google, the 90s. Google Kevin O'Connell. It does yeah. sound like an actor's name you made up to try to trick me into thinking somebody was in a movie. Um, Brock Purdy yesterday. He broke 200 yards. 17 to 26, two touchdowns, no turnovers. He is. Are you impressed by Brock Purdy? He's the degenerate's pick for uh, what, rookie offensive player of the year. Danny. Degenerate Danny is all on board Brock Purdy, although he hasn't bet Brock Purdy yet. Oh, the Vikings coach. Yes, I'm an good idiot. Job, Jared. That was good suspense for everybody. Um, were you, is Brock Purdy impressive? Uh, um, yeah, I mean, for a guy who probably didn't think he was playing at all, wasn't going to think a minute of playing all year, he's not. I don't think he's played poorly. He's all banged up. He, tough kid. Iowa State. Come on. <laughs> Our Iowa State kids. Yes. Tough? Yeah, middle of the country, tough kid. I would phrase it this way. He had to haul corn uphill yes, both exactly. ways. exactly. <laughs> Brock Purdy is impressive because of what he hasn't done. Which is turn the ball over. Right. suck. Brock Purdy has not sucked so far. Brock Purdy, by the way, is from Arizona. He is not a corn-fed kid. Um, he has not sucked. It's hot out there, man. He has not made <laughs> mistakes. Um, he has made a few good throws, but like last night, the touch we played the audio of it, the George Kittle touchdown pass. That's like 
uh, playground play design where he fakes a swing pass to the left, fakes a swing pass to the right, trying to get the linebackers as confused as possible. And then George Kittle's just standing like 10 yards down the field with nobody around him. And he hits him. And like, that's a, hey, your offensive line's going to protect. The coach drew up this fun play. All you got to do is fake it a couple times. And then Kittle is going to be wide wide open. open. The second touchdown pass to Kittle, I don't know exactly what the play design was. The Seahawks did not cover George Kittle. Kittle ran 20 well, yards gotta, down he, the field. You got to cover George Kittle. Yeah, he ran 20 yards down the field, do and there was nobody within 15 yards of him. In all honesty, so, if you can throw the ball 20 yards, you could have completed that pass. I don't know if the guy Kittle. sucked. He does not. Absolutely not. He has not turned the ball over, and he has hit the passes that have been designed to be open. Yeah. But it's also very much, we got to calm down on Brock Purdy here. Like, Brock Purdy Ro- is not the reason they're winning uh, the game. Rookie of the year. Brock Purdy is not any part of the reason they're winning these games. No, I hate to admit it. They've got a better defense than Dallas. Oh, they've got the best defense in the league, I know. Well, that has a lot more to do with it than Brock Purdy. Last night, the Seattle Seahawks were a third down stop away from being able to go down and tie this game in the final two minutes because the 49ers offense could only put up 21 points. The 49ers (laughs) dominated that game, and it still ended up as a one-possession game because the offense wasn't good enough. Because Brock Purdy is just a guy who's playing quarterback, which might be enough for the 49ers because everything else on that team is phenomenal. But he's just a guy. And as long as he doesn't make mistakes, the 49ers have a chance. Um, the 49ers going to be playing for something when they get here? Seeding? Yes, almost guaranteed they will be. Because okay, they're so a half game behind the Vikings. They'll show up with something oh, yeah. to play for. Oh, yeah, especially with two weeks to go. They're a half game behind the Vikings right now for the two seed. Okay. Uh, in the NFC. They can technically catch the Eagles, but they're going to need, I think, two, maybe three losses. I'd have to see exactly oh, what the tiebreaker is. Happen. Yeah, so uh, they could technically get the one seed, but they'll almost certainly be playing for the two seed with Minnesota. But here's the, again, it's we're still not to the end of the season. We don't know exactly what seeding will be, and there could be upsets in the playoffs. But the most likely outcome of the NFC side of the bracket is Dallas goes to Philly and Minnesota yeah. and San Francisco play each other. The 49ers are going to be in the NFC Championship game. As they were last year. Right. They're going to be in the NFC Championship Even with Brock Purdy. Yes. And then can they beat the Eagles or the Cowboys? I'd probably say no, but it's not completely impossible.